today we're starting our Christmas series, uh, which uh, hopefully you saw as you came in, enough question mark. It is uh, going to be about uh, contentment. And so to begin, I would like to tell you about someone uh, who I think struggled with contentment, even though they had every reason to be content. And so here's the man I'm talking about. Uh, You've probably heard his name, J.D. Rockefeller. Uh, He was a very, very wealthy man, Uh, lived, what, 100 some odd years ago. And he was very wealthy because uh, of oil and gas, basically. Uh, He started the Standard Oil Company. Uh, He, at his height, owned 90% of the oil and gas industry in the entire United States of America. So he had a, a lot of wealth, a lot of resources. In fact, his net worth at its peak was 2% of the entire U.S. economy. So in our dollars today, uh, he was worth about $23 billion, which I know compared to like Elon Musk is not a lot. But back then, there were no other billionaires. He was the only one, and he was a billionaire 23 times over. So he was way far ahead of everyone else. Incredible wealth, tons of companies, tons of estates. People would ask him, though, about his money. And uh, there was a reporter that asked him one day, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough money? And his famous, now famous reply is just a little bit more. That was his answer. How much money is enough? Just a little bit more. Here's a man who had more money than he could ever spend, and yet there was something in him that was saying, I just need a little bit more of it. So my my question as we begin is, is how is... $23 billion not enough money. Like how could a human being get to that point where they would say it's not not quite enough? Uh, How is it that we as human beings in general struggle to be content? Especially here in the West when we have so many uh, blessings, material blessings, uh, just the blessings of living in a country like we do. How is it that contentment seems to always slip through our fingers? Well that's That's going to be the focus of this sermon series, Finding Contentment This Christmas is the subtitle. Now, obviously, this is a time of year when we give uh, gifts to each other in the hopes of making each other a little more content, a little more happy. And I want to assure you that the point of this series is not to bring everyone down, like during the Christmas shopping season. Uh, My goal is not to make you feel bad about whatever's in your Amazon cart right now, unless you're checking it on your phone right now, and then you really probably shouldn't do that. But... What I thought is that Christmas is just kind of the perfect time to remember what it is and who it was that actually brought lasting contentment into the world. That with the coming of Jesus, there was finally an answer to that longing in the human heart for contentment, of of being at the place where we can say we have enough. So today we're going to examine the nature of Christian contentment, and uh, I'm going to begin just with with a word of prayer, and then we'll get to some of our texts. So let me pray for us. Uh, Lord Jesus, I do thank you for the Christmas season. I thank you for the, um, the festivities that come, for the opportunities that are here for us to celebrate and rejoice, and we have much to rejoice. We have much to, to celebrate. Uh, so I pray, Lord, as we uh, dig into this topic of contentment, Lord, that you would uh, give us soft hearts, uh, give us open ears, help us to be shaped by your word, and Lord, may we, may we increase in our contentment as we increase in our knowledge of you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to jump around a little bit, uh, but one of the main texts we're going to be in is 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, we're going to start just with the very first uh, part of our passage. We'll look at 6 to 10, but here's verse 6 of 1 Timothy 6. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. 
Very simple. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Here we see the general counsel of scripture that contentment is integral to the good life that God has for us. God's saying, this is something you should strive for. You, you, should, you should have a, a, a measure of contentment in your life. Now, this sort of seems obvious. I mean, there's not that many people who don't want to be content. That's kind of our goal in life, that we would be at peace, be happy, joyful with the life that we have. The challenge, of course, is that uh, it's a difficult thing to grasp. That whenever we feel like we might have contentment, it tends to slip through our fingers. And there's a reason for this. And here's our first point. There's just two points today, but here's our first one. Worldly contentment is elusive. Worldly contentment is elusive. I'm going to use that word elusive. It kind of is slippery. It's tough to actually to grab hold of. Um, we saw this in the life of Rockefeller, who, who should have been content, and yet it, it kind of was, um, it was outside of his grasp. Um, the challenge, though, of contentment is not just for millionaires or billionaires. All of us, I think, struggle with this idea of contentment. Um, as human beings, we are notoriously discontented creatures. Our, most of our economy, if you think about it, is driven by this sense of discontentment. That's what every, every commercial, every ad is basically echoing what we hear in our own mind, that, that we are not content. The ad you know, wizard is telling us, look, we know you're not content. You know you're not content. You should try the shampoo. It will help. You should try this new shaver. You should buy this Land Rover. You should hear the things that we're giving you. We're helping you to be to be content, and, and we do feel a measure of contentment, right, when we, when we buy something new. That's why we give gifts. That's why we like to receive gifts. The challenge, of course, is that they don't bring lasting contentment. And so the Christian should be well aware of this fact. Now, here's the, here's the challenge, though. This doesn't mean, as a Christian, that we should reject the things of the world completely, the external things. That's what we're talking about, right? All these things out there in the world that are telling us, look, if you have us, not just things you could buy either, right? Relationships, could be uh, achievements, could be degrees, could be positions, whatever it is. All those things out there are saying to us, look, if you would have this, then you would be more content. You would be happier. And we see that for what it is, hopefully. Because we, we see that it, it, even if we get that thing, it doesn't actually happen. But the response isn't necessarily to reject the things of this world. You could imagine, for example... Um, a family, Christmas morning. The parents have gotten everything ready. The kids come, you know, barreling down the stairs and they run into the family room and look at the tree and instead of it being like this, filled with presents, it's just bare. Nothing under the tree. Nothing at all. And the parents say, kids, Merry Christmas. Oh, kids, we love you so much. We really wanted you to be content this Christmas. And we, we had bought you a lot of toys. I mean, we had bought you many, many gifts. But then we heard a sermon on contentment. And we realized that it would just disappoint you. And so we didn't want you to be disappointed. So we took all those toys back to the store out of love for you. And what we're going to do instead, we're going to read the story of Christmas. We're going to bask in the fullness of Christ. And you're going to be truly content. Isn't that great, kids? You can imagine that that would not be a recipe... Uh, for contentment. Not, and that's not even what God is calling us to do. See, uh, God is a good father. He gives us good gifts and we are to enjoy those gifts. And those gifts are primarily, like the, the best gifts are spiritual gifts that we have from the Lord. But there are also material things that God gives us. And his intent is that we enjoy those things. Uh, here's Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 19 where the author says, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions, and power to enjoy them, and to accept his lot, 
and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. Meaning the wealth that God has given you, the toil, the work he's given you, all these material things. These are things of the world. You should enjoy them. You should glorify God in them. It's not that we need to reject all of those things completely, but we do need to recognize their limitations and their dangers because there are some dangers that are present in the things of this world. Uh, Paul goes on to explain them. So we're going to go back to our 1 Timothy chapter 6 text. He begins, godliness with contentment is great gain, but then look at verse 7. He says, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So notice the language there. Um, he's speaking primarily about money, which is probably the most common source of external contentment. It's a thing we look to. And he's not saying that money itself is wrong. He's speaking about the love of money. And the language there he uses is like temptation, snare, harmful, destructive. So the Bible's saying something like money or the external things uh, that appear so um, appealing, they promise us so much. We need to see them for what they, what they really are. It's not that they in themselves are necessarily evil, but it's that our hearts can be so caught up in wanting those things that, that we will be distracted from the things that really will satisfy us, the thing, the God himself. And so at Christmas, there is actually a greater challenge for us because as we get into the Christmas season, we do, we, what do we do? We make lists or we ask people, what would you like for Christmas? If we have kids, what, what do you want? We think of what we want to give. We think of what we'd like to receive. And because of the merriment of the season, because especially here in the West, we have uh, an abundance. And so we can look forward to uh, feasts and gatherings. I mean, in our text, it said we can be content with food and clothing. But I think we know it's hard. It's hard just to be content with the bare minimum of like food, like bread, an apple, and then clothing, just something to cover our bodies. That's, that's not what we tend to look for when it comes to contentment. We don't just want food. We want feasts. We want tasty food. We want a lot of food. We want brand name clothes. And not just that, we want other things. We want uh, video game consoles. We want AirPods. We want Cuisinarts. We want all these things that will add to our contentment. It's, it's difficult just to be content with kind of the basics. And it's also difficult not to get caught up in all the other things. Once we start thinking about them, once we start scrolling and looking and doing our kind of Christmas shopping, once the Black Friday deals came, right? We're all we're kind of swept up in all this. Ah, that would, I would really like that. I would really love that. Here, Paul is talking about the, the challenge of this, that our hearts can be caught up in those things. Now, for some, for some, the um, instability of all of the external things is, is very apparent. Meaning, as we approach the Christmas season, it could be that for you, you're thinking, you know what? I, it's tough for me to see this season as really a merry season. Over the years, given everything that's gone on in my life, uh, I don't approach this season with a sense of like fullness and, and looking for the, the family get-togethers. I mean, it could very well be that in some of those areas of your life, health, wealth, family, that there are sources of pain. And so as you come to the Christmas season, you're, 
you're not really feeling like you're getting swept up in it. You, you know, you know that the things of this world will disappoint. In fact, with everything that's gone on in our province, it's a reminder, a sad, stark reminder of, of the fact that, that there are many this Christmas who won't be celebrating the Christmas the way that they thought, that, that their homes are gone or filled with mud, their, their farms or their, or their businesses just destroyed. It's, it's devastating, and it is another reminder that the things of this world, though they seem very permanent, though they seem to promise us so much, they will always disappoint. And if we're not careful, they can deceive us in terms of our hearts being wrapped up in those things. It makes me think, uh, just here's a little illustration, it makes me think of this wreath that I was um, hanging up, we were doing Christmas decorating, and Don wanted this wreath hung up in the middle of the window, and so I was like, all right, I'll get some scotch tape, put it on there, scotch taped it up, looked great, came back another hour later, it was, it was down, I was like, didn't use enough tape, obviously, so I just put a whole lot of scotch tape up there. It lasted uh, a few more hours. Uh, imagine how foolish it would be if I just kept putting up more and more scotch tape, right? Every day, just tape it up, a little more, the whole window covered with scotch tape, it kept falling. Eventually, someone, Don, would say, Matt, first of all, you're wasting a lot of tape. That stuff's not cheap. But secondly, obviously, that's not going to hold it. It's not strong enough. You need like one of those 3M hooks that can hold like an elephant. You need something stronger. And that's, that's the foolishness of looking to the things of this world. They they not only disappoint, they fall. And if our hearts are wrapped up in them, we will fall along with them. So before we get to kind of understanding the true nature of, of Christian godly contentment, we should pause for a moment and take an honest look at our own hearts. And just ask the question, just, just do a little bit of internal examination and ask, you know, how, to what extent is my heart, is my mind... Uh, does it find contentment in the things of this world? Like if you just think of how your life is organized, are you, are you like, oh, can you breathe easy because of your job, because of your family, because of, of what's in your bank account, because of the things that you have? Are, are, to what extent do those play a factor in your contentment? Because really what the Bible is describing here is, is the potential for idolatry that we would, we would start to live for those things, which in of itself is detrimental to our spiritual health. But then if those things, when they disappoint us, we'll be devastated. We'll have no resources. We'll, we'll just be in a place of utter despair. And God wants more for us. And so he leads us to a place of, of understanding what true contentment is all about. We need a better anchor, a better support. And so here's our second point. Uh, Christian contentment is secure. Christian contentment is secure, and that's, of course, because it's rooted in something stronger, something more stable. And for this, we'll look back to verse 6 again of 1 Timothy. He said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. That's, that's the ingredient that is key. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Okay, but what, is, what does that mean? What does it mean to be content in God or with God? Uh, I'm going to give you uh, a comprehensive definition of Christian contentment. Uh, I didn't come up with it. This is from a man named Jeremiah Burroughs. He is a Puritan, was a Puritan preacher. I'm going to, uh, here's a picture of him in his Christmas best. Uh, he wrote a lot of very helpful books. The one book, maybe put it back up there for a minute, Ben. Uh, the book that he wrote that I'm going to glean from is called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. You can find it on Amazon. You can get a Kindle version. It's very cheap. 
Uh, he, it's a compendium of all the, the definition of Christian contentment, how we get to it. So if you want to dive into this more, it's a great book. And uh, I think this is a very helpful definition. I've distilled it a bit because the Puritan writers can tend to add a lot of words. I've kind of just condensed it. But here's what he writes. He says this, Christian contentment is an inward state of heart which submits to and delights in God in every situation. So it's an inward state of heart which submits to and delights in God in every situation. So we're going to pick it apart a bit. I think it'd be helpful. The first bit, inward state of heart. This is one of the big differences between the contentment of the world and a Christian contentment. The world looks to things outside of us, external things, but the Christian looks to what God has done inside of us as a source of our contentment and our joy. So Burroughs has, a, has an illustration I think is helpful. He talks about the difference between the warmth of a fire and body heat. So here's what he says. He says, uh, to be content as a result of some external thing is like warming a man's clothes by the fire. But to be content through the inward disposition of the soul is like the warmth that a man's clothes have after the natural heat of his body. So a man who has a healthy body puts on his clothes and perhaps at first in the, in the cold of the morning they're a bit cold, but after a little while they are warm. He says, how did they get warm? Not because they were near a fire, but because of the warmth that came from within the person. He says, a sickly man has no heat within him and must always go back to the fire to get warm. And his point is that that's someone without genuine contentment that they always need to go to some external thing to be filled, to, to have that sense of peace in their lives. The Christian has it within. So that made me think a bit in terms of my own life. It made me think, to, to what extent do I go to other things outside of myself so that I will be content on a daily basis? I was thinking of like mood stabilizers, you know, not, not pills, but like... Um, but like the things that you look to, for example, like a coffee in the afternoon, um, a dessert, I look forward to, to a sweet thing after dinner, uh, a quiet time, uh, a time with just to decompress, maybe exercise, maybe, maybe shopping, maybe just a little trip to the mall or online. There's all these little things that we do that kind of perk us up, don't they? That kind of give us a little, oh, I need, I, you're just feeling kind of like the morning's dragging, I'm going to go get this. And, and I thought to myself... Uh, it's great if we're content when we have access to those things, but what happens when we don't? That's why fasting is such a, a good discipline for us. It's amazing the, the mood that we're in by the end of the day if we just haven't eaten anything for, for a day even. It's helpful. It's, a, it's almost a diagnostic tool to see, look, is there actually anything in me that, that can allow me to be content when I'm separated from these other things? You can think of it on a large scale as well. What if those bigger things in my life, what if they're removed? What if, what if the job that I've had for so long is gone or the wealth is not what I thought it was or my health, you know, all those things. Is there actually anything in me that will maintain a sense of warmth in, in the love of God that I will be still at peace, I'll be content or am I just, is my mood totally like a wreck, right? You meet certain people that are just always in a bad mood and really when it comes down to it, they're just bitter at life. Right? Whatever it is that's ever happened, they have not been able to come to the place where there's, there's a contentment that resides within them. I think this is a struggle. 
Now, it doesn't mean that we always have like great days. It doesn't mean that we're always slap happy and smile on our face, right? We, we can have bad days. We can struggle. We, we know that's going to happen. But what Burroughs is pointing us to is that the Christian should still have within him or her a source of contentment, a source of, of warmth and joy that persists even if the things around us were, were not able to access them. So what is the nature of that heat then within us? What is it that can help us to, to live a life like this? Well, here's the next part of our definition. So it's an inward state of heart, something that comes from within, that submits to and delights in God. That submits to and delights in God. Now, if you've been with us in 1 Peter, you might think at this point, what, submission again? Haven't we had enough of submission? We've had like four sermons on submission? Yes, sorry, we're gonna do it again because clearly it's integral to an understanding of the Christian faith and the gospel even. Uh, If you think about it, what the world says to us is, look, for you to be happy, you need to be in charge. That's how we raise our kids a lot of the time, right? If we're going to be happy, you got to be in charge, follow your dreams, figure out what's in your heart, and then you do that. Don't let anyone else crush you. You do that. You figure out what you need. You're going to know best. But that's not what the gospel says will bring us contentment. The gospel says we will only be happy if we stop trying to be in charge of our life. And to let Jesus be in control. That's really what you see in the Christmas story. Think think about it, right? It's not just that Jesus comes as Savior. He comes as Lord and King, right? When the wise men come, they ask everyone, where where is the King? Where's the King of the Jews? And when they come to Jesus, they don't just applaud him or give him gifts. They they bow and they worship. He's, He's Lord. He's God. That understanding is essential for our salvation and for our growth in godliness. We will only really be saved if we, of course, understand Jesus died for my sins, he saved me from my sins, but also now he's Lord of my life. That's the access point of faith, of submitting to Christ. And then from that, we grow in godliness, and part of that is is contentment. This, This aspect of submission, though, is a challenge for us as human beings, So I thought I'd uh, give a little uh, story that I heard about the value of submission. Uh, This comes from an interview I heard with a man named Dave Dahl. Uh, You probably don't know his name, but you might know his bread. Have you heard of Dave's Killer Bread? You heard of that bread? It's really good bread. Um, If you turn on the back of the loaf, you'll see a bit of the story of his life. And what you realize really quick is that he made a lot of bad decisions in his life before he started making uh, good bread. Uh, if you hear his whole story, he grew up, his family, they, they were um, bakers, but he rejected, I mean, everything and anyone that was trying to tell him what to do through his teen years, through his young adult years. He got more and more reckless. Um, he got into drugs and then started getting into crime and burglaries to pay for his drugs. He was arrested a number of times, but finally, uh, I think in his late 20s, he was arrested and sent to prison uh, for 15 years. So he was in prison for a long time. And looking back, he says that it was, it was one of the best things that could have ever happened to him. Because when he was in prison, uh, he, it, it forced him to work through some of the things that, that were in him that he wasn't dealing with, his anger, his depression, some mental health issues. But he says the turning point for him was when he decided to submit to the authorities that were trying to help him. Uh, he says it this way. I just thought this quote was interesting. He says, being at the end of my rope like I was, I finally did something that they talk about in AA and I surrendered. 
I said, well, I'm going to let these authorities who may be able to help me, I'm going to give them a chance to help me. Because up to that point, they had all these treatments and things he was dealing with, but he would just resist. He just had a wall up. He wasn't going to give them anything. But he came to the point where he just was like, maybe they can help. I'm just going to go with whatever they say. I'm going to do whatever they say to do. So in his sessions, he started to talk. Started just to share what was going on inside him. He, he actually ended up taking some medication, helped stabilize his mood for a time. He, he started to get some, uh, some training. All of these things, he said, were, were essential for him to turn his life around. But the key, he said, was that humility of heart of just getting to the point of saying, I, I need help. I need help. So listen, it is true that medical authorities, mental health authorities can be very helpful to us. But how much more helpful is it for us to submit ourselves to our creator, to the one who made us, to the one who knows us, to the one who, who died for us, who rules the universe and yet, and yet knows our name? See, on our own, there will always be more anxieties that spring up every day because there'll be more problems that we can't figure out, that we can't actually deal with, and we're, we'll try to control them because we think that's the safest thing but they're beyond our control, so we get anxious. There's always a churning in our stomach. Under the sovereign rule of God, we can be at peace, knowing that he actually is in control. He actually is in control of every aspect of our life, and that means then we can allow him to carry the things that we have no control over. Also, it means we can allow his word and his spirit to, to govern our lives. Doesn't mean there are difficulties, obviously but it means that we can have peace knowing that we are actually in good hands. There's a couple of verses uh, from our reading, our Advent reading, that I thought really captured this. This is again from Psalm 16, verses eight and nine. The psalmist writes, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. I love that connection, right? The Lord is always before me. He's at my right hand. And so there's, he's not shaken. His heart is glad. What we see there is that contentment flows naturally from submission. Now that's hard because our own heart and the voices around us are gonna say, no, you need to, you need to stay in control. You'll feel safer. One of the reasons we don't feel safe is because other people in our lives have disappointed us and so we don't want to give control to anyone else. We want to hold it. Then at least if we're disappointed, it's our fault. But that only brings greater anxiety. And it, it makes me think that as we're thinking about contentment, we should probably be asking ourselves this question. If, if we are someone that struggles with contentment, could it be that the issue is not really contentment? The, the, the issue is that we struggle with submission that we struggle to really just step back and allow God to be Lord over our lives. It could be that as we submit ourselves more, it will be, let's say, as we submit ourselves more to the command of the Lord, to just the sense of his sovereign care, that, that we will grow in our contentment because we won't feel like we always have to be smart and strong and composed We'll be able to unburden ourselves of all the anxieties that come from trying to control everything all the time. Maybe we won't feel like we have to control all the people in our lives all the time. That will help. That'll bring contentment. See, there is genuine peace 
in letting go and trusting that you were in God's hands. But notice, the definition doesn't just say submit to God, it says delight in God. Delight in God. And that's because begrudging submission is not contentment. Just look at any, you know, kid who's doing what his parents told him to do and doesn't want to do it. Right here, they're like cleaning the room, right? That's not a picture of contentment. That's a picture of I'll do it, but I don't like it. I'm not happy about it. That's a problem. The reality of Christian contentment is that it only comes when we joyfully submit. When we're, when we're glad to submit to God. And that can only happen if we totally trust God. That we are absolutely convinced that he is going to bring every good thing into our lives at the right time. It, it happens when we recognize who we are as, as a Christian, as someone who's in Christ, as someone who's redeemed. Everything about us has been changed. Now, um, here's a passage that I think is helpful for this. It's interesting because uh, Paul's writing to a group of Christians, the Corinthian church, but he's kind, of, he's kind of highlighting the discrepancy between the blessings of God that are true of them, but then the realities of the world. And they, they often, they're like in opposite directions a lot of the time. So look at what he writes. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 8 to 10. He says, we, we Christians, are treated as imposters, and yet we are true as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. That last couplet there, having nothing and yet possessing everything, I think that really gets to the heart of contentment. Because notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, uh, look, you have nothing right now. But in heaven, you're going to have everything. So be happy. I mean, that's true. In 1 Peter, right? We talked about the inheritance. There is an inheritance waiting for us. That is absolutely true. But that's not what he says here. He says we have nothing now, but we also possess everything now. Which is a bit of a, a puzzler. What does, he, what does he mean by that? How does that work? Well, think of it this way. It's not just that God has prepared an inheritance for us in the future. He has. But he also has prepared a trust fund for us right now. See, a trust fund is usually a bunch of money that's put in trust for someone. So the money is in that person's name, but it's not, they don't actually have access to it directly yet. So if you think about it, if you had a trust fund, think of the difference in your life. If you're a young person and you had like $20 in your pocket, that's all you had, but you have a trust fund with $80 million in your name. That would probably change the way you saw yourself and the world. Your sense of stability in life, your sense of, of ease, and even if I don't get this job at Burger King, it'll be okay in a little while. I'll have a trust, access to a trust fund. So it does bring a sense of security. But, but as I said, you don't have access to that, that money um, directly. There's always an administrator. And the administrator or executor, they, they dole out the money according to the person who set up the trust fund. So sometimes it's like one, uh, once a month, you get a little bit of money once a month. Sometimes it's at a certain age, 19, 21, 25, then you get access to the funds. Now, for the person who has uh, a trust fund, like you're the recipient of a trust fund, my guess is that you would probably think, you know, I'd feel a lot better if I could just access that money right now. I would feel more content, right? If I didn't have to wait that's probably what everyone who's got a trust fund, you know, they're waiting till age 21. Then, then I will be happy. Then all of that money will be mine. I'll be able to use it how I want. That's, that's what will make me really, really happy. And that's how we think 
of the blessings of God. We have all the blessings that we need of the Lord, but we tend to think it would be so much better, Lord. I'd be so much happier, so much more content if I could just, if you could just give it right now. Like if I could experience it right now. I mean, think about how we pray. When we pray, a lot of the times, what are we doing? We're thinking of the holes in our life where, where we're struggling with contentment, not happy. Lord, relationship, this, job, that, money here. And we're just, we're really saying, look, I'm not sure if you're aware, but there's some holes. And if I could just access that, and just you could just bless me in this way, ah, then I would be content. Then I'd be joyful. Man, I would worship you all the more. But let me ask you do, you, do you really think that that would be better for us? Like if we had direct access to all of those material blessings? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure because if I think about um, how I've handled the blessings that God has already given me, I can see that I've squandered a lot of the resources that God has given me for a lot of my life. And by that, I mean just engaged in foolish things that brought little glory to God, little blessing to me or the people in my life. If I think about the gifts that he's given me, I have at times used those gifts to hurt people. I've hindered my own spiritual growth in the decisions I've made the things that I've got caught up in. I mean, there's so many things that if I, if I think about it, I'm not sure that I'm really the one who should be in charge of the material blessings in my life. Let me put it another way. Who better? Who better to ensure that we have the maximum amount of blessings in our life than the one who created us, who knows us intimately, who redeemed us, who has demonstrated his heart for us in sending his own son? See, this is, this is contentment, true contentment. It's knowing that we have everything we need already, knowing that there is a God who loves us and has promised to give us every good thing at exactly the right time, and then we submit to that. We, we rejoice in it. We trust that God will actually do what he has promised. And we do that in every situation. This is the other challenge, in every situation. This is the last part of the definition. Because it's easy to say all those things and believe them. But then there's things that happen in our life. And, and they, they stretch us. There are things that happen that are too hard. Right? Lord, I didn't think this would happen. Or too long. Lord, I, di I didn't know that I'd be enduring this for this amount of time. Or this many things. We very often get to a place where we feel totally overwhelmed. And we're very tempted to say, maybe, maybe God doesn't have my best in mind. So how do we... How do we maintain a sense of contentment in these overwhelming situations? Well, first, again, we need to recognize that contentment doesn't, doesn't mean there's always a smile on our face. There are going to be real seasons of, of trial and adversity, and that's okay. But it does mean even in the midst of those times, we can have a sense of peace, and we can have a measure of joy. And that's because the fundamentals of our contentment they don't change based on our circumstances. There's one last passage I want to point us to, just to kind of to show this. This is really an example of this. This is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Here the author is um, speaking to a group of Christians, reminding them of, of how they reacted in the past to times of persecution and trial. So here's how it reads. He says, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, so after you came to faith, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. 
For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You see, see what the author is saying there. Look, all the, I mean, think of those situations. Your property plundered, you're being robbed, being thrown in jail. And what's the reaction from these Christians? Compassion. Well, they're in prison. Rejoicing when things are taken from them. How could they do that? Well, it says right there in the text. They did it because they knew that they had a better possession. There was something better that they had that they knew they couldn't lose. It says there it's an abiding possession. What they had was Christ himself, their faith. That the thing that brought them contentment, that enabled them to endure those things with joy, with peace, with compassion, was Jesus. He is the better possession. He is enough, is what the author is saying here. In fact, that's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. That Jesus is better than every other thing that's come before him. Better than everything in this world. He is enough. He fills us in the way that we long to be filled. In fact, that's what the entire Bible is about. The entire Christmas story is about. That now, finally, when Jesus entered the world, the, the human being could say, I have enough. Through faith in him, I finally have enough. And in case you're, in case you're wondering, practically speaking, what does this mean? Let, let me just briefly, I made a partial list of if you are a Christian, what does it mean for you? What are the blessings that you now have because you were in Christ? Here's, again, partial list. In Christ, we are righteous before the throne of God. We are redeemed from our sin. We are faithful because he's given us the gift of faith. We are healed. We are spiritually alive. We are adopted. We are rescued. We are loved. We are valued. We are heirs of the kingdom of God. We are royal priests, blameless in the sight of God in spite of our sin. We're forgiven. We're eternally hopeful. Children of God, temples of the Holy Spirit, recipients of grace. We are called saints, we are unified as the church in Christ. We are holy in his eyes. We are godly. We're chosen. We're precious. We are ransomed because of the blood of Christ. I could go on. The New Testament is filled with reminders to the church of all that we have in Jesus. The whole message is, look, he, he is enough. All the longings of your heart, they're fulfilled in him. All the identity that you're craving, fulfilled in him, the purpose for your life, fulfilled in him. And so, as a Christian, regardless of, of what happens, should we give gifts to bless someone else? Absolutely, absolutely. But we can do it knowing that we have enough already. Whether we get everything that we're hoping for this Christmas, whether in life we get everything we're hoping for or not, we have enough. We have more than enough. See, that's why the Christmas season is such a great season. Because as everyone else is celebrating around us, we, we can genuinely celebrate. We can celebrate that Jesus coming into the world has given the world exactly what we need. And we as the church have the blessing of, of sharing that story, of hopefully articulating to people how it is that we can be content in the midst of these challenges. So, so this morning, today, uh, we did some other celebrating. Uh, we had a baptism in the first gathering. We're going to have one in the third gathering. I'm sorry, no baptism for you. But we do have testimonies. And these testimonies are of two young ladies in the church that basically are saying what baptism is all about is, look, Jesus is now enough for me. That, that as he died and rose again, 
I in faith, the same has happened, that they are now alive in Christ and he's made all the difference. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna see their testimonies and then we are gonna respond in worship. Lord Jesus, we are thankful, so thankful that you are enough. I pray, Lord, for everyone here. I pray, Lord, this may be a difficult season. Lord, it certainly is for many in our province, Lord. We pray that there would be an abiding sense of contentment and peace and joy that comes from knowing you. Help us, Lord. Help us not to get caught up in the things of this world. May we be able to glorify you with them, but not have our hope or our contentment tied to them. Help us, Lord Jesus, wherever we go, regardless of circumstance, may we be a people that are warmed from within because your spirit burns within us and because we are convinced that your good hand will give us good things in every moment of our life and into eternity. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for these two young ladies that are being baptized today. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless them as they grow in godliness and may we be encouraged by their testimony now.